We were reading about how the nectar flows over the rocks into the cave and into our mouths. Uh -huh. And the stones are symbol of our bones. And the cave had two entrances. Uh -huh. and we were trying to find the southern exit to the cave. And we are talking about the cave of the nymphs within Homer's Odyssey. And we're going to continue our readings. It's a continuation of a prior podcast. It is reported that Parmenides mentions these two por ports in his book concerning the nature of things, as likewise that they were not unknown to the Egyptians and Romans. For the Romans celebrate their Saturnalia when the sun is in Capricorn. And during this festivity, the serpents wear the shoes of those who are freed. And all things are distributed the among servants. The servants wear the shoes of those who are free. What's that mean? Just the honor of the servants, in a way. The servants would have been slaves, I'm not even sure. And all things are distributed among them in common. The legislator intimating by his ceremony that those who are servants at present by the condition of their birth will be hereafter liberated by the Saturnalia feast and by the house attributed to Saturn, in other words, Capricorn, when reviving in that sign and being divested of the material garments of generation. They return to their pristine felicity and to the fountain of life, but since the path beginning from Capricorn is retrograde and perhaps to descent, hence the origin of the word Januarius or January from Jania Agate, which is the space of time measured by the sun while returning from Capricorn towards the east, he directs his course to the northern parts. It's amazing that this is like the <coughs> derivation of the word January and stuff. It's amazing they looked at the sky and the stars and the movement of the constellations and they concluded so much out Apparently of Apparently some sort of stars moving retrograde through, yeah. right? Yeah, the Capricorn could indicate January, but with the Egyptians, <laughs> the beginning of the year is not Aquarius as among the Romans, but Cancer. This is like astrology, but yeah. I never was that erudite in astrology. Mm -hmm. For the star Sophilus Ceres borders on Cancer. Which star? The Greeks de denominate Ki Kyovros, or the dog. What's that word? K Kinos, Kinos, Kinos. Kinos. The dog. When the star rises, they celebrate the calends of the month, which begins their year, because this is the place of the heavens where generation commences, by which the world subsists. On this account, the doors of the Homeric cavern are not dedicated to the east and west, nor to the equinoctial signs, Aries and Libra, but to the north and south and particularly to those ports or celestial signs which are the nearest of all the, these quarters of the world. And this because the present cave is sacred to souls and to nymphs, the divinities of waters. But these places are particularly adapted either to souls descending into generation or to such as are separating from it. On this account, this is like either being born or dying, right? Yeah. On this account, they assigned a place congruous to Mithras, near the equinoctial, and hence, and hence he bears the sword of Ares, because this animal is martial and is the sign of Mars. He is likewise carried in the bull, the sign of Venus, because the bull, as well as Venus, is the ruler of generation. Seems like the bull and Venus. Venus is the, uh, is the sign of desire, you see. That's why they call it. You have to, to get born. Of, 
true. You get to get born, you have to have desire. So, did you have desire to get into the physical body? Did your parents have desire? Did somebody must. Somebody had it somewhere. Nucleus is placed near the equinoctial circle, comprehending the northern parts on his right and the southern on his left hand. Likewise, to the southern hemisphere, they added the south, because it is hot. And to the northern hemisphere, the north, on account of the coldness of the wind in that quarter. You like to go south, don't you? <laughs> they say that, they're saying the cure for the coronavirus now is to go south. Again, it is not without reason that they connected winds with souls sinking to generation. Again, separating themselves from its stormy world. Because according to the opinion of some, souls attract a spirit and obtain a pneumatic substance. Indeed, bore, boreas, 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 what? Boreas, that's north. Bore, that's north. Mm -hmm. It's proper to souls passing into generation for the northern blast to recreate those who are on the verge of death. Hmm. Does that, like a northern blast, cold wind, seem like death to you? I have no idea about that. And refresh the soul, reluctantly detained in the body. On the contrary, the southern gales dissolve life. For the north, from its superior coldness, collects into one, detains and strengthens the soul in the most moist and <laughs> frigid embraces of terrene generation. But the south dissolves of humid bands, and by its superior heat, having freed the soul from the dark and the cold tentament of the body, draws it upward to the incorporeal light and heat of divinity. And I guess the incorporeal life just means the... The light, body of light. The, the, the light without the, the outside body. the body, incorporeal astral. light. The light... Astral body, no, no material body. The light of the astral body, let's say. But since our habit, habitable orb verges mostly to the north, it is proper that souls born in this turbulent region should be conversant with the north wind and those who descend depart from the hence with the south. Uh, it is indeed on this account that wind blowing from the north is immediately on its commencement vehement, but the south, on the contrary, is more vehement towards the end. Or the former hangs directly over the inhabitants of the North Pole, but the latter was more distant in the blast from places very remote. It's more tardy than from such as are near. But when it is gradually collected, it blows abundantly and with vigor, and hence, because souls enter into generation through the northern gate. We enter in through the north. They have feigned this wind to be um, amatorial. And hence the poet Boreas changed into the form of a horse, mingled himself with the mares of Elictornius, and they, big with young, produced twice six fowl. How do they do that? How does a horse have six fowl? No idea. And they report that he committed a rape. Um, Orithlia, Orithlia, from whom he begot Zetus and Calais, Calais, like the city in France, Calais. But attributing the south to the gods. They have the Calais, the, hmm. the, that um, sea between France and Spain, before the Calais, how it's called. This is quite hard to follow all this mythology. That's why yeah, it is very complicated. How they that's why again. I was cross-eyed in college and couldn't. Zetis and Caleb. Didn't have the patience. Mm -hmm. uh -huh.
Corinthia. <laughs> have we developed the patience we didn't have as 20-year-olds uh, for this material? Within 20 years, we wouldn't read that. I would have been in a rush, you know, like that. I would have wanted to do things. Uh, uh, no, maybe we'd have more clarity of mind and it would be easier. Well, it helps that we're locked in in a quarantine uh, and have to read this book. Uh, you can't go out. We're in a lockdown into Greek mythology, trying to find the answers. But attributing this out to the gods uh, when the sun is at his meridian, they draw the curtains before the statues of the gods in temples and conceal them from the view. Observing the Homeric precept that it is not lawful for men to enter temples when the sun is inclined to the south, for this path is open to immortals alone. Hmm. 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 Hence, when the god is at his meridian, they place a symbol of midday and of the south at, in the gate of the temple. Besides, in other gates, it is esteemed unlawful to speak at all times, uh, because they consider gates as sacred. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't be blabbering at the gate, you know. But uh, I think from gate, they, believe, they, be, they the mean temples? this. The oh. gate, you know, you should be yeah. silent. Oh, the gate, um, the third eye should be silent. That's smart. Wow. We obtained wisdom as we got older, but we're, we didn't have it when we were. I wish I had obtained it when I was 20. On this account, too, the Pythagoreans and the wise men among the Egyptians forbade any person to speak while passing through gates or portals. For at that time, the divinity who is in the principle of the universe is to be worshipped in silence. Well, uh, silence is... They always say, sit in silence. silence is gold. The master says, sit in silence. Uh -huh. Should we just sit in silence? My father was... Hmm. He would uh, come to the house, he would order silence right away. <laughs> He ordered silence, then he would talk. Uh, then he would talk the whole time. Yeah. So your father thought he was the god. Right? Kind of. Most men do. In Greek families, are the fathers the god? Mm -hmm. I think you dropped that piece. Let me see what he said. Not really. But Homer was not ignorant that gates are sacred because he represents O Aeneas in the place of supplication, knocking at the gate. Aeneas. Before his gate, the aged Aeneas came, and the suppliants shook their well-compacted frame. Hmm. That's good. You want to read it? Iliad, book 9, line 579. This one. Mm -hmm. That's from the Iliad. Oh, that's in English. Eh? Before his gate, mm -hmm. the aids Aeneas came. What, do you want to read? And suppliants shook their well-compacted frame. You could read... Whether they informed here you the could read this. a Look. dense cloud. Oh, you don't this need, you don't need to read original, that. Oh, istasin sin. Dear, if you want to read, you can read here. Mesimbrias que tu notu epitithira mesimbria azondos tu theu. You want to read? Huh? You want to read from there? Yeah. All right, let me read. Then you have chocolate. I have chocolate. Where are you? Here. Besides, he knew that the gates of heaven were committed to the care of the hours. 
commencing in cloudy places and which are opened and shut by the clouds for he says whether they unfold or close a dense cloud hence likewise they are said to resound because thunders roar through the clouds Iliad here in the original Ιστάσιν ουν και σύμβολον της Μεσημβρίας και του Νότου επιτιθήρα μεσηδιάζοντας του Θεού. Ουίτσα, ο Στένιος, translates most erroneously as follows. Όστρουμ ειζήτους μερίδι συμπόλουν φλατούν κουμ της μεριδιάνο ταμπέρο όστιο ίμιναν. That's in Latin. And he finds that wrong, but we don't understand that. Histasium ke symbolon tis mesimrias ket not. What? Mesimrias to theum. Mesimriasontos to theum. Heaven's gates spontaneous open to the powers. Heaven's sounding gates kept by the winged hours. I don't know, think that's uh, related to the what no, I read then. Yeah, I don't know the translation of this. Yeah, uh, don't read it. I think mm. the place uh, from the shore. Mm. Uh, mm. Besides, Homer elsewhere makes mention of the gates of the sun, signifying by this Cancer and Capricorn, for the sun proceeds as far as these signs when he descends from the north to the south and from thence ascends again to the northern parts. But Capricorn and Cancer are situated about the Milky Circle, Cancer occupying the northern extremity of the, of the circle and Capricorn the southern. Again, according to Pythagoras, the people of dreams uh, are souls which are reported to be collected in the Milky Way. The appellation of which is derived from souls nourished with milk after they lapse into the wheels of generation. Hence, those who desire to evacuate departed, soul, departed souls sacrifice to them with milk sweetened with honey, convinced that by the allurements of pleasure, these souls would desire to pass into generation with the very beginning of which milk is gener generally produced. With the very beginning of which milk is generally produced. Besides, the southern regions produce small bodies because being attenuated by the heat, they are diminished and dried up. And by a contrary reason, more bodies generated in the, in the north are larger, as is evident in the Celte and of Gauls, uh, Thracians and Scythians. So those northern people are taller. And these regions are humid and abound with much pasture. For the word Boreas is derived from Greek Bora, which signifies alignment. Hence also the wind which blows from a land abounding in nutrients is called voras or nutritive. From these causes, therefore, the northern parts are proper, properly adapted. The class of souls obnoxious to mortality and generation, but the southern quarters to immortals, exempt from the mutability inseparable from the flowing realms of generation, in the same manner as the East is attributed to the gods and the West to the demons. Hence, since diversity is the origin of nature, the ancients considered everything with a double entrance as the symbol of nature. For the progression of things is either through an intelligible or a sensible nature. And if uh, through a sensible nature, either through the sphere of the fixed stars or through the orbs of the planets, and again, either with an immortal or a mortal motion, 
Likewise, one center of hinge, or hinge of the world is above the earth, but the other is subterranean, and one part of the heavens is eastern and another western. In like manner, some parts of the world have a dexter and others a sinister position. Those two night is opposed to day, and the harmony of the universe consists from the amicable junction of contrary and not similar natures. Where are you going? Plato also makes mention of two gates. One, uh, you can uh, shut it off and take off the, uh, because it's not gonna, it's not enough. It's just for you. Plato also makes mention of two gates, one of which affords a passage to those ascending into the heavens, the other to those descending on the earth. And theologists place the sun and moon as the gates of souls, which ascend through the sun and descend through the moon. So according to Homer, two urns by Yobis high throne have ever stood the source of evil one and one of good. I think you should hear that. What is it? According so according to Homer. Yeah. Because they believe there is uh, the two gates everywhere. Eh? Mm. Uh, one gate, yeah. uh, the sun and the uh -huh. moon. The moon descend, uh -huh. the sun ascends. Uh -huh. So according to Homer, two urns by Jovis high throne have yeah. ever stood. Uh -huh. The source of evil one, the one of good. Yeah. Yeah. But but Plato, in his Gorgias, <coughs> by vases understands souls, some of which are beneficent and others malign. And again, some are rational and others irrational. But souls are denominated vases because they are capacious of certain energies and habits after the manner of vessels. To Isiod, too, we find in Isiod, too, we find one vase shut, but the other opened by pleasure, who diffuses its contents and leaves nothing but hope behind. For in whatever concerns a depraved soul diffused about the dark and turbulent nature of matter, deserts, deserts the proper order of its essence. In all this, it is accustomed to nourish itself with the pleasing, though delusive, prospects of hope. Since then, every twofold division in a, is a symbol of nature. This Homeric cavern has with great propriety two gates, numerically different, the one peculiar to gods and pure souls, but the other to such as are mortal and depraved. Hence, Plato took occasion to speak of bowls and to substitute vases for amphora and two gates, as we have already observed in the place of two ports. Also, Pheresides Cyrus mentions recesses and dens, caves, gates, and ports by which he insinuates the generation of souls and their separation from material nature. And those maths for the interpretation of Homer's cave, which we appear to have sufficiently explained uh, without adducing any further testi testimonies from ancient philosophers and theologists, which would give an unreasonable extent to our discourse, already has been unreasonable. One particular, however, remains to be explained, and that is the symbol of olive at the top of the cavern, since Homer appears to insinuate something ingressious by giving such position. For he does not merely say that an olive grows in, the, in this place, but that it flourishes at the head or vertex of the cave, high at the head a branching olive grows beneath uh, mm. a groomy grotto's cool recess. But the growth of the olive is uh, in such a situation is not fortuitous for, for uh, as some may suspect since it finishes and contains an enig the enigma of the cave. 
for uh, as the world was not produced by the blind concurrence of chance, but is the work of divine wisdom and an intellectual nature. Hence, an olive, the symbol of divine wisdom, flourishes really? near the present cavern. Yeah, olive is the symbol of Athena, the goddess symbol of wisdom. Of divine wisdom. Uh -huh. mm. For the olive is the plant of Minerva, and Minerva mm. is wisdom. Is she uh, Athena? Athena? Yeah, she was born from the head of Zeus. And since this goddess was produced from the head of Jupiter, of Jupiter, I thought uh, Zeus. The theological poet gives a proper position to the olive, consecrated at the head of the port, signifying by this symbol that the universe is the offspring of an intelligible nature, separated indeed by a diversity of essence, though not by distance of place from his work, and by unremitting and ever and ever-present energies not uh, remote from any part of the universe, but situated, as it were, on its very summit, that is governing the whole with perfect wisdom from the dignity and excellence of his nature. But since an olive always flourishes, it bears a similitude peculiar and convenient to the revolutions of souls in this material region. For in summer, the white part of the leaves is upwards to reflect the sun, but in winter it is bent downwards. Really? It turns the leaves to the sun, yeah? Yeah. So to absorb more sun in the winter. Yeah. On this account also, in prayers and supplications, they extend the branches of an olive presaging from this omen that they shall exchange the sorrowful darkness of danger for their light of security and peace, for fair light of security and peace. But the olive is not only of an ever-flourishing nature, it likewise bears fruit, which is the reward of labor, mm -hmm. is sacred to Minerva, supplies the victor in athletic labors with crowds and affords a friendly branch to the suppliant petitioner. Thus, too, the world is governed by an intellectual nature and, and a wisdom ever flourishing and vigilant who also bestows on the conquerors in the athletic race of life the crown of victory as the reward of severe toil and patient perseverance, and the mighty builder who supports the universe by his divine energies invigorates miserable and suppliant souls, uh, contending for the most glorious of all prizes, the Olympiad of the souls. The mm -hmm. Olympiad of the souls. The Olympiad. Of the souls, yeah. Olympiad, uh, the soul, the, the Olympiad soul, of the souls. Soul. That's an interesting expression. Where are you at? Here? Can I read a poem yeah. to now? Yeah. I can read a poem to Athena. <laughs> this is from my poem. Ready? This is my poem to Athena. <laughs> that seems irrelevant. How did you know Athena? Athena, this is of David. Athena, deepest of all women, called wise. Who is the grower of love, Athena or Aphrodite? Athena, I saw your eyes in Izmir in the city Ephesus. Where is your temple now? Wise man in ancient times come to your feet in the cool, quiet, cool air of early morning. Nature surrounded you in glory. Fava beans, olives, mushrooms, mint, licorice fall from your hands. Your beauty radiates from the eyes. Your body is made of a thousand years of olives. In my dream, I crashed through a wall, and your face was there with a golden triangle. Rhythmic louds have sweetened your soul and put a shine in your cheeks. They put her in the museum. She grew sad, and her skin pale with all her worshippers gone. I, a foreigner, was there. I tried to catch her feelings. When the guard took a few lira, 
For a closer look, it was a disgrace. But she smiled and looked at me, and I felt her embrace. <laughs> she seemed ready to go with me, though turned to stone and locked inside walls. She somehow did go with me. Actually, I saw Artemis of the temple of Ephesus. The guard let me go close in Izmir, Turkey. <laughs> Home of Dias. <laughs> Now you can continue, Dad. Now I continue now that we've read our intrusion of our own poem into the reading. <laughs> now, that's our tactical effort to read about olives now that we worship olives. Are we going to have olives for breakfast? I don't know. Well, you have feta, I know you do. <laughs> I've seen it uh, hidden away. In, in this cave, therefore, says Homer, all external possessions must be deposited. Wow. Here, naked and assuming a suppliant habit, afflicted in body and casting aside everything for superfluous, since to being averse from needless possessions, do you think that he's like a minimalist or a declutterer? Needless possessions, it is requisite to sit at the foot of the olive and consult with Minerva by what means we may most effectually apputate and destroy that hostile rout of passions which lurk in the secret recesses of the soul. Indeed, as it appears to me, it is not without foundation that Numenius thought the person of Ulysses and Odyssey represented to us a man who passes in a regular manner over the dark and stormy sea of generation and thus at length arrives at that region where tempest and seas are unknown and finds a nation. Do you think it's just like Ulysses is a man journeying through life? Who never knew salt or heard the bellows roar. According Then again, according to Plato, the deep, the sea, and the tempest are so many symbols of the constitution of matter. And on this account, I think the poet called that port by the name of the marine god Forceps. But it is the port of the ancient marine Forceps. Likewise, his daughter, Thosa, is mentioned in the beginning of the Odyssey. But for Thosa, the Cyclops was born, whom Ulysses deprived of sight, that he might by this means, while sailing over the stormy ocean, be remind, remind, reminded of his sins, till he was safely landed in his native country. On this account, too, a seat under the olive is proper to Ulysses, as to one who supplicates divinity and would please his natal demon with a suppliant branch. For indeed, it will not be lawful for any one to depart from the sensible world in a regular way. And in the shortest time, who blinds and irritates his material demon, but he who dares to do this will be pursued by the anger of the marine and material gods, whom it is first requisite to appease by sacrifices, labors, and patient endurance, at one time by contending with perturbations, at another time by employing stratagems of various kinds, by all which he transmutes himself into different forms, so that at length, being stripped of the torn garments by which his true person was concealed, he may recover the ruined empire of his soul. You think you can recover the ruined empire of your soul? Mm -hmm. Nor will he even then be freed from molestation till he has entirely passed over the raging sea and taken a long farewell of its storms till through, though connected with the mortal nature, through deep attention to intelligible concerns, he becomes so ignorant of marine and material operations as to mistake an oar for a corn van. There was a... Wasn't there a long footnote that you didn't read? 
What yes. happened? Yeah, we have to go all the way back to the footnotes. There was a le footnote 11. My God. How long is it? I'm going to look over this footnote right here. Let's see. No, I have to read this footnote. This footnote 11, this assertion of Pythagoras, this is, has to do with Pythagoras, the people of dreams. The assertion of Pythagoras that the people of dreams, our souls situated in the Milky Way, admirably contributes to the elucidate the following passage in the 24th book of the Odyssey, representing the descent of the suitor's souls to the regions of spirits. In other words, quote, but they passed beyond the flowing waters of the ocean and the rock Lucas and the gates of the sun and the people of dreams. And they immediately came into meadows of Asphodel. Asphodel. <sighs> Let's see, what time is... Uh, when where souls... The images of the dead reside. Hmm. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Hmm. We might have to stop because I don't know when this reading is. We have to stop at this footnote. Oh, we have a, a YouTube. Hmm. I'm going to pause the reading then here. Can always continue. Continuing hmm. with the uh, people of the dreams, uh, and uh, but they passed till below, beyond the flowing waters of the ocean, and the rock Lucas, and the gates of the sun, and the people of dreams, and they immediately came into a meadows of Asphodel, where souls, the images of the dead, reside. For it is evidence from whence that the souls of the suitors pass through the galaxy and the seats of the blessed, according to the most ancient theology. And I doubt not that Homer describes in these lines the complicated progression of an impure soul until it regains its original habitation in the stars. And again begins to gravitate to this terrene abode. This, I presume, will be manifest from the following elucidation of these admirable lines. In the first place, these souls are said to pass over the flowing waters of the ocean and the Lacadian or white rock. Now by this, nothing more is meant than the flight of the suitor souls to the extremity of the earth in order to a subterranean descent. For according to the most ancient opinion, the earth is bounded by the ocean and the Lucadian rock may, as Lustitheus observes, be some rock on the earth's extremity which receives the last rays of the sun. Afterwards, they are said to pass through the gates of the sun, for which, as Porphyry informs us, Porphyry informs us above, we must understand the tropics of Cancer and Capricorn, and as Capricorn is subterranean and affords a passage to ascending immortals, we must conceive that they enter through this prior to the tropic of cancer, but in order to comprehend the perfect propriety of this transition, we must observe that the souls of the suitors, on account of their impurity, are punished in the recesses of the earth before they enter the celestial tropics and pass into the meadows of Pluto. This the poet evidently evinces by the screeching, screeching, noise which they utter, and the squalid pass through which they descend, a noise of this kind, as Proclus well observes in Plato's Republic, quote, representing the species of life solely given to appetite and imagination, unquote. After they have been purified, therefore, by the subterranean punishment, they are fit to ascend to the people of dreams, 
or the souls of the blessed situated in the Milky Way. However, as the soul, on account of her middle nature, is incapable of the perpetual sameness of situation, are we capable of the perpetual sameness of situation right now? But it is formed for infinite calculations, as will be demonstrated in the following elements. Hence Homer, without mentioning her duration among the gods, though it is doubtless very extended, agreeable to the mystic brevity of his muse, makes her immediately pass into the meadows of as Fodel, where souls and the images of the dead reside. Now these meadows of Asphodel form, form the supreme part of Plato's dominions, for according to Pythagoras, Pythagoras, as we are informed by Macrobius in the preceding note 5 above, the empire of Pluto commences downwards from the Milky Way, so that these meadows are most probably situated in the lion, the constellation into which souls first fall after they leave the Tropic of Cancer. But the description of the Asphodel perfectly corresponds with and confirms the preceding exposition. Because the Asphodel is a plant bearing a naked starry flower which comprehends an ovar ovarian or orbicular figure after the manner of a cup. And what can more aptly symbolize with the stars than such a flower? It was usual, too, with the ancients to scatter this plant in the tombs of the deceased, occultly intimating most probably the solemnitude of this flower to the pristine and proper habitations of the soul. And hence it derived its appellation from uh, uh, something ashes, Greek word, from the ashes of burnt dead bodies. In these meadows, then, the images of the dead are said to reside. Now, these images are no other than those vehicles of the soul which have been so copiously and admirably, admirably discussed by Synesius. In the preceding quotation from his book on dreams, which for from these resident from their residence in the starry regions must be luciform, ethereal and pure. It is this fantastic spirit or primary vehicle of the soul which Virgil alludes to in these beautiful lines. Sinde per amplum mitmer Elysium passi. We are afterwards, quote, we are afterwards sent through ample Elysium, and a few of us possess the joyful plains till a long period when the revolving orb of time has perfected its circulation, frees the soul from its concrete stains, and leaves the ethereal sense pure together with the fire or splendor of simple either. Unquote. For here he evidently conjoins the rational soul, or the ethereal sense, with its splendid vehicle, or the fire of simple either. Since it is well known that this vehicle, according to Plato, is rendered by proper purgation, or luciform and divine, it must here, however, be observed that souls in these meadows as of Asphodel, or summit of Plato's emp Pluto's empire, are in a falling state, and in other words, through the secret influx of matter, begin to desire a terrene situation. And this explains the reason why Hercules in the infernal regions is represented by Homer, boasting of his terrene exploits and glorying in his pristine valor. Why Achilles laments his situation in these abodes, and the souls in general are engaged in pursuits similar to their employment on the earth. And for all this is the natural consequence of the 
a propensity to a mortal nature? Do we have a propensity to a mortal nature, dear? Mm -hmm. We do? I thought we were <laughs> becoming ethereal. Why do we have a propensity to a mortal nature? Uh, we, we meditate, I don't know. Propensity to immortal nature and a desertion of the regions every way lucid and divine. Let the reader to observe that according to the arcana of the Platonic doctrine, the first and truest seed of the soul is in the intelligible world, where she lives entirely divested of body and enjoys the ultimate felicity of her nature. And this is what Homer divinely insinuates when he says. You want to read a Greek quote? <laughs> yeah. You do? Mm -hmm. You want to read Homer in Greek? <laughs> yeah. All right, then you get the privilege <laughs> of the grand conclusion. <laughs> you want to read from here? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Homer speaking. Should just go to the top poet. Where are we? Here's the top poet. Mm -hmm. After this, I saw the Herculean power of image. But Hercules himself uh, is with the immortal gods delighting in celestial banquets and enjoying the beautiful footed Hebe. So, that's good. Sense for the soul to dwell with the gods entirely separated from its vehicle is to abide in the intelligible world and to exercise, as Plotinus expresses it, the more sacred contest of wisdom. Should it be inquired why departed souls, though in a state of felicity, yeah. are compared by Homer to dreams and shadows, I answer with Porphyry that uh, they are shadows with pro respect to human concerns, uh, both because they are destitute of body and are void of memory, for after they have passed the Stygian river, they are entirely ignorant of their pristine life on the earth, though they recognize and converse with each other, as, if, as is evident from the discourses between Proclus, Ajax, and Antilochus, Indeed, together with memory, they lose all knowledge of corporeal remembrances, which are rendered apparent through the ministry of the fantasy. For since the fantasy consists from memory, as Plato asserts in the Philebus, whatever we imagine perishes with the memory. And when this is taken away, all the perturbations of the soul are removed, as she then becomes wholly intellectual and passes into a state divinely prudent and wise. However, by means of the blood, which, as we have before observed, is, according to Homer, the instrument of the Fantastic soul, departed spirits, recognize material forms and recollect the pristine condition of the earth. And to the fantasy, reasoning pertains, since it is nothing more than an aggregation of memory collected through imaginations into the judgment of universals. But this is very different from the intellective energy acquired by the soul beyond Acheron, which uh, Cocytus, Cocytus and Piriflegmenon, Piriflegenthon, feels from the whirling streams of the dreadful stings. Let the reader, however, remember that the fantasy is twofold, 
communicating in supreme part with the rational soul, soul and in its inferior part with sense. And that it is the inferior part which the soul deserts when it acquires an intellectual condition of being. Okay. You, we read that? We read yeah. that. So we we're going now to... We were here. You... Oh, yeah. We could stop, I think, or you... We want to read more. Oh, wait, from, this wait from this here. Was. Wait. Where I think it's here. When we finished it, uh, you can stop think, now, though. I think we finished maybe. Oh, right. no. No, she want to read here. But uh, what I read now continues here. This was not doctor fully broken. Does. Oh. So, yeah. Okay, keep reading it then. Yeah, so. This was, no doubt, fully proved by Porphyry in some of his unfortunately lost writings, such as his book on the philosophy of Homer, or that on the allegories of the Grecian and Egyptian theology, of which we have already made mention. Maybe not. Eh? Maybe they leave no, this for that. No, continue from... The text uh, of 13 follows, it is. Oh. Number 13 for loss. I don't know what he is for that. This is the text 14. Hmm. Yeah, whatever, it doesn't matter. I mean, do you like to read from now, here, from here? Oh, then? I'm going to finish it. Stop? stop it. Oh. Would you like to stop it? I don't know how much time I have. Oh. Okay, if you like to read this, this is all the only thing. This is only a uh, page and No, I'm, I'm going to... Is there a whole... There's a whole lot more. Up to here, actually. No, I'm going to stop. Unless we start a new reading. Oh, we do have all that still. Yeah.